Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Well, Christmas is over. Time to open up the gifts. Talk about the presents. That's what we're going to do. This edition of Kevin's Corner back in studio on a Monday morning. Kevin Bowen across the way. Chris Presley. The batteries are recharged. Mm -hmm. Sunday was a nice, quiet day around the house. And uh, I love this part of it, Chris. Looking into these guys, finding out more about their tidbits and stories. And then now we analyze. And rookie minicamp coming this week. And some OTAs, hopefully a minicamp maybe in June. And um, I guess let's start here, Chris. Shout out to everybody that listened and watched Beers with Bowen. Absolutely. Did want to mention that. I know we had a great time. It's one of our favorite shows to do the night before the draft. And so thank you to, um, I think the final numbers, if I saw on YouTube, over 2,000 people have viewed that that link. So thank you big time to everybody out there. Hope you enjoyed the content. And we're always open to suggestions and things like that so dm myself or chris if you guys have any but that was a fun time last wednesday that chat never ceases to amaze me the, <laughs> the, i mean we're there to provide you know content and entertainment value to a degree they get their own entertainment just out of the chat and i absolutely love it oh yeah i was scrolling back through it afterwards and they're like oh yeah i have not even paid attention to what kevin and chris have said for right. the last 10 minutes i just care about you know the uh the the banter to say the least i think that's a fair term to use for the chat so uh, probably won't have another one until late August, early September. Hopefully be back yes. in a local watering hole around town when that comes around. But thank you to everybody um, who watched. And we didn't have a podcast last week. We wanted to have one. You know, emergency pod, obviously Thursday night after the Quiddy Pay pick. But uh, this is just going to be a pick-by-pick breakdown. All seven selections. And uh, not a ton of Twitter questions this week. You know, I'm probably going to start getting back into the routine of asking for them. Uh, we've almost kind of ran out of our right. big log we've had. I know if you guys ever have questions, again, DM myself or Chris, and we'll get to those. I, I do want to start here, Chris, before we get to left tackle. On Wednesday's Beers with Bowen, uh, we had a slide early on in the show that hit on goals of the draft. So there were three goals that I think were, like, more pressing and then a fourth goal that I kind of threw in there as well. Um, and the goals were this. One was solidify the offensive line. Two was find an impactful pass defender. Um, three was another skill piece in the air. And then four, which again, this is a little bit down the rung, was that 2022 draft asset, a.k.a. find another draft pick. Right. Um, so those are the four goals. So, you know... <laughs> Recapping a draft can be so hot take central, but I'm glad that we have kind of that blueprint before the draft to go off of, of how right. we kind of look at things right now. So we're not just coming at this from, oh, here I am, Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith, and I'm just going to, you know, whatever, speak out of my ass. Um, let's start with the first one, solidifying the offensive line. You know, couldn't have couldn't be further away from sniffing right. yeah. that in 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 addressing it will freeze isn't even a tackle at the nfl level so um, that first goal certainly not accomplished in any way shape or form secondly the impactful pass defender wow i mean heavy heavy attention that not only quitty pay but dio adangbo and his you know future and we'll get into him a little bit later but um, i think the body types are very intriguing of both of those in mm -hmm. different ways um, so we'll get into a little bit of that more. But impactful pass defender, uh, while you didn't get a corner, you know, I, I do 
you know, tend to agree with what Jim Mercer said of like these guys, if they do reach, you know, their their full potential, they help out that that cornerback group there. Um, the another skill piece in the air. Um, I'm very very intrigued by Kylan Granson. You know, he's the right skill set at tight end. I think that's important to keep in mind here. It's not Hunter Long or um, you know even Tommy Tremble. I know a lot of people wanted him to be the pick. It's like look at Tommy Tremble's production. You know, as a receiver, you know, it just it wasn't there um, to the level of Granson offered some big play ability at SMU and things like that. And then lastly, the 2022 asset, of course, that was not addressed at all. Um, I don't think we saw a whole lot, honestly, of trades for 2022 picks. I, I can't act like I have all 31 teams, you know, <laughs> front of mind of what they did during the draft, but um, that was not accomplished. So I think when we look at these four goals again, uh, offensive line not even close to being addressed. Defender uh, certainly got probably more attention than even mm-hmm. we thought. Another skill piece in the air, you know, tied in in the fourth round. That's where we had positional mock that position and then add uh, the 2022 asset that was not. So just a little bit of a rundown on those goals. Yeah, and with uh, Ballard kind of doubled down, even on undrafted free agent signings, you know, linebacker, wide receiver, running back, not no offensive lineman in, in that uh, selections either. Yeah. And we'll see how those names unfold over the next couple of days. The Colts could obviously cut some more guys on their roster to open up undrafted free agents. A list hasn't been officially announced. We'll probably get more into that on next week's pod. But, yeah, I mean, and honestly, from a number standpoint, they have a lot of offensive tackles, to be Correct. fair, yes. on the roster. It's just the young um, the young offensive tackles, I guess, would be the question. Let's, uh, you know, now we've kind of pushed ourselves down that left tackle road. Let, let's go there next, Chris, before we go pick by pick, because I know this is the most pressing topic that I think are on a lot of people's minds. As I'm watching the draft unfold, I'm thinking to myself this, you know, screw Andrew Luck meeting with Jimmy from the Colts. We need Anthony Costanzo to go meet with Jimmy from the Colts. Yeah. You know, Anthony, I know Ryan Kelly got married over the weekend. Did anybody see the weight of AC? <laughs> I hope he's not losing too much weight because, boy, you could get him on line one in a hurry, and uh, he'd have a lot of leverage uh, to come back as well. I want to be very clear in this, Chris, because, again, I think we can get super hot takey and super just, like, reactionary to what happened in the draft. Listeners of this podcast will know full well that I felt like it was a mistake in last year's draft not to draft an offensive tackle. I think you could find audio where I make the argument in 2019 that finding a tackle – a little bit earlier than taking Jackson Barton at pick whatever he was um, would have been wise as well. It is very interesting to me that for a position that Chris Ballard is so um, core philosophy driven by that he just has not really drafted a tackle, point blank, period, Yeah. in five drafts. We know Zach Banner in the fourth round. We, we've mentioned that that's more of a Joe Philbin pick. Brain Smith not drafted to be a tackle. Jackson Barton in round seven, um, and that's it. You know, assuming that Will Freeze again, more of an interior guy at this level, and still at seventh round picks, you know, you, you might as well draft the next Blue. If <laughs> and nothing against Blue, because certainly Blue is a tremendous mascot. So, um, Blue, please don't text me or message me about that. But um, for me, this is like a one to two year sort of mistake that kind of bubbled over over the weekend 
of you have not done your coaching staff an adequate job to find a tackle to try and develop or groom. You know, 2019, that was when Casanzo came off the injury-riddled year. You know, he missed those first handful of games. And so at that point, I think internally you got to say, oh, boy, man, we got lucky here with this Braden Smith thing. Uh, Costanzo's got the injuries. He's reaching 30. He's reaching a contract year. You know, draft a tackle fourth, fifth round. That's mm-hmm. probably something we should do. So you don't do it in 2019. Jackson Barton's a seventh rounder. He's off your roster by, I don't know, October, November of that season. So then you get to 2020. At this point, Costanzo's told you he's thought about hanging it up. You know, what's the old saying? Once you think about retirement, you're pretty much retired. And right. obviously he ended up retiring after just one season. And and you don't draft a tackle um, at a position that really, really matters. Like, this is not like, you know, whatever, Zaire Franklin saying he, he might retire and you, know, yeah. you can just find a special teams linebacker. So... That, to me, Chris, is like the biggest head-scratching aspect of it is you have not properly built the succession plan at such a vitally important position. And you've been fortunate, honestly, with the health of your tackle positions. We've seen, you know, Green Bay's tackles getting hurt last year, Taylor Lewan getting hurt. Obviously, it it stung the Colts a little little bit, but they they still have been, I think, in the better than most um, injury Mm -hmm. uh, standpoint when you talk about the tackles over the last three years or so. so I think that is probably where my biggest frustration comes from. I understand the philosophy Chris Ballard had in taking Dayo Adangbo and 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 things like that. But when you don't take care of that in recent drafts, when you don't aggressively make moves in free agency for really a lot of positions, but in particular left tackle and I think defensive line as well, that's when you put pressure on the draft, and you put pressure on the draft, I think, at specific positions. And so I think that is where I come from in, in, in looking at this and just really, really scratching my head and, and how. Like, how has it come to this to yeah. where the the phrase of Sam Tevy's played a lot of football is repeated three or four times over the weekend, and that's supposed to be reassuring. Like, Sam Tevy's played a lot of football. There's a lot of guys in the NFL that have played a lot of football. Um, that is worrisome to me. And a lot of it revolves around support for Carson Wentz. You know, that's a big thing we've talked about all offseason long. And I think you've largely failed in that area in supporting him. And it's a guy that has had multiple seasons ended due to injury. And while he should be able to, whatever, elude some rush and keep some plays alive, it is a more susceptible quarterback to taking some hits um, and things like that. You know, it seemed like, boy, the Colts really – didn't love any of these prototypical tackles. They, they didn't feel like there were many prototypical left tackles in this class. I know there was a run on them in that second round. Yeah, there were. Um, those 15 picks before the Colts, I think five went. Um, you know, Cosme went, Walker Little went, uh, Eichenberg, I think, Dylan Radins. You know, it was a kind of a big run there. If one of those guys been, had been on the board at 54, they're still taking Dio Dangbo. Like, <laughs> they made that very clear of, like, no, this is not a – Darn, we just don't have the draft capital to trade up. Um, now, me personally, and I know this is obviously vastly different than how Chris Bauer runs his drafts, and you know, I wholeheartedly can hear people say, well, yeah, Chris Bauer runs it the way that you should run it. I felt like you have cornered yourself as a football team to where maybe at pick 54, you just don't have the luxury to take a guy like a Dangbo, where are you trading up 
to 49 and taking Cosme or something like that. Again, I know your draft capital wasn't very abundant, so you're trading up. You're mm-hmm. going to make sacrifices further down. But it, it, it's a position to me where you just can't survive. You've really got to you know, thrive, to be honest with you, at that spot. Um, I was working on an article way back in the offseason. I went back and just double-checked my notes of the playoff teams in the AFC last year. Their drafted left tackles, uh, first overall pick, 21st overall pick, 6th overall, 10th overall, 10th overall, a second rounder, and then the undrafted Alejandro Villanueva, who was in the Army. Yeah. Um, So right there, playoff teams, that position, 1st, 21st, Cassanzo 21st, 6th overall, I think that's Ronnie Stanley, 10th in, in Lawan, I think 10th in Jedrick Wills, uh, and your second rounder escapes me off the top of my head, but there you go. I mean, it's serious investment for playoff football teams at that position. Like, it's just not something to where I think you can get by. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as Tevy's concerned, boy, I, you know, he's only started a left tackle, I'm pretty sure, for one year in the NFL, Chris. This is not like, there's some proven left tackle with 50 games of starting experience there. He, he was a right tackle early on for the Chargers, and you know we know how the Chargers' offensive line has <laughs> performed as well. I see a lot of people say, well, he's going to play next to Quentin Nelson. Well, I mean, well, Raven Clark played next to Quentin Nelson. Like, just because you, know, yeah. you, you, you line up next to Quentin Nelson doesn't cure all. So, um, I mean, those stats prove it. They always say quarterback and left tackle, which you just read, absolutely proves that theory. Yeah, that, that you have to have that in this league. And, you know, I also think, Chris, just to reiterate those Anthony Costanzo numbers that we've talked about of when he has been in the lineup for this football team, they score four points more per game of last decade. And you're, to me, the record. I mean, four points per game for one player in the NFL. Oh, my gosh. Right. Imagine that. If that's your quarterback, that's an eye-popping number. It's your and left tackle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that big of a difference? I mean, holy hell. Not to mention, we don't even go into the schedule, where if you look at the win-loss results, it's like the equivalent of a 4-12 you know, and 12 football team versus an 8-8 eight and eight football team. I mean, that's astronomical as well when you look at it from that sense. So, um, again, I don't put, like, I put some of it on this draft because I feel like you had cornered yourself as a franchise to have to take a tackle, which, again, I know differs from a lot of overall philosophy. And it is not – I'm not, like, against the Odeng, the um, Odengbo pick, which I try to pronounce, like, 700 times over the weekend. I feel like I've <laughs> got it right. But um, short-term and long-term, yeah, left tackle still a question. And now you look at next year's draft, Chris, and you hate to look ahead, but uh, I, I'll – I think admitting your problem, I believe, is the first um, <laughs> aspect in stating you have a problem. I've looked at a 2022 mock draft, and the Colts don't have a first-round pick right. in all likelihood. So, you know, when are you getting that answer solved? So, um, looking to lessen the stress level of Carson Wentz, I don't know how much you've done that. Um, I get you can scheme it up to a degree. A lot of pressure on Frank Reich to, to scheme it up, but there's also times where you want a five- and seven-step drop it and rely on Carson Wentz for that big arm. Rivers is more of the quick rhythm, get right. it out, get it out. So that plays into you know, not having to rely on that on that left tackle. So, um, yeah, I don't know. If you had a third-round pick, would you have taken like Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa, a name that we threw up 
on the um, on the scenarios. Who knows? But um, yeah, it's it's confusing to me, and it's more so a multi-year build to the confusion at tackle. Yeah. So we. We will see how the left tackle plays out. What we do know is the, as you mentioned, the Christmas presents that we did get. Yeah. So let's uh, unwrap each one of these. Sure, what do you say? Sure. Obviously, first, Quitty Pay. As people know, uh, the emergency podcasts where you you broke down more if they they want to go get more information on that. But just a brief hit on Quitty Pay. Yeah, and like you said, the emergency pod probably covers more. Um, we, we talked to the area scouts on Saturday night, and I you know, we'll throw some tidbits in as. You know the next few weeks unfold, but Chad Henry, the area scout, said, "You know, in 24 years of doing this, you know, Quiddy Pay would be a top five character guy that he's ever, ever been around." Um, you know, as far as the lack of sack production at Michigan, you know, Henry mentioned those guys in general. Um, Josh Uche. Um, I'm trying to think some of the other defensive linemen that have been drafted relatively high over the last few years. They haven't had huge numbers. So, how much of that is that scheme? Uh, you know, Chase Venovich is just a, and, and Henry said this, he's just a psycho. He just chases <laughs> after the ball like none other. So he, you know, found some some more sacks there. But, you know, when you watch Pay at times, they're like, this rocked up dude at 270, he's kind of given up his body a lot and not as a natural edge rusher. Now, having said that, as much as I do think the Colts will put him more in the edge, I do think the fact that he can line up a little bit in the interior, it's not what you want, but... It helps with like the stunts and a lot of stuff that we see Matt Eberflus fronts like to do. Um, to me, and I said this on the emergency pod, it's a high floor. Like I've kind of mentioned the that Jabal sheared floor. Mm-mm. Now the question is, can you get to ten sack ability with him? And that's where the development of your staff is going to be there. He's got like testing traits that you really, really like. But the blue trait of him as a pass rusher, we never saw at Michigan. We just didn't see it to the level of, you know, Jalen Phillips or whatever, Montez Sweat, Brian Burns in years past. Some of the more natural rushers that you saw production meet the testing traits as well. Testing traits are there mm-hmm. for pay, but him as just a natural rusher, here are my moves, you know, here are my pitches, et cetera. That's where you have to um have to develop. He's got a strength trait, man, to where he can hold up at the point of attack and he can help you out on first and second down. And that's not where – I think that's what separates him from some of the other rushers the Colts have drafted, that those guys have had a, had a uh, lower floor because they can't help you out much on the early downs. Pay, at the very least, should be able to help you out on those early downs. Mm-hmm. And then we'll see about the development um, of him there. Um, and, and I guess just lastly, we know the Colts love to bring four rushers a lot. And you do feel like pay um, will be a part, should be a part of that package. And really, it's you know, it, it's it, it's a front to me that you don't need a whole do a whole lot from first down to third down. Now, obviously, Kamoko Turi, you hope healthy, and I think we got a question about that, so we'll we'll, we'll get into that Twitter questions. But you know, guys like Buckner, guys like Pay. They should be on the field first down and probably also on third down. Um, yeah, Grover Stewart's off the field. Tyquan Lewis comes on it. Uh, maybe Turry comes on it as well. But this is a guy that um, had a high pressure rate at Michigan, which you like. Yeah. Now it's just kind of finishing the job outside of just effort. You know, can you do a little bit more of 
here's my array of pitches, and I'm disrupting timing early on and not just, oh, here's the four-and-a-half-second QBs held onto the ball. Here's my effort sack. Right. Well, in round two, Robert Mathis had to be clapping. Obviously, we go quitty pay first. Get another defensive end, as you mentioned, in Odangbo. Yeah, Dayo Odangbo, the pronunciation there. Um, Morocco Brown, one of the Colt scouts, calls him kind of the human hurricane. Uh, <laughs> hurricane Dayo is what he references as. Says, you know, at times you watch his dominance and, it, and it's kind of dr- drop the remote after about 10 plays. Like, wow. That's really impressive for a guy his size. It was funny when he was drafted, and I start to read a little bit more into him. He reminded me a little bit of Jason Pierre Paul, was the first name that came to mind for me. Morocco Brown went with a different former giant D lineman. He went with Justin Tuck. Take either one of them. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, you would happily sign up for either one of them. So, you know, think left end on early downs. That frame on a rundown, I mean, that's 6'5", 280. That's a big end. But then he can slide inside and really impact that interior of the pocket uh, on the passing downs. You certainly think about him and Buckner and the length. Mm -hmm. And we know the Colts are obsessed with length, and he's got that. The length, the size, the power. Um, They loved his motor. I mean, I'm not going to act like I watch a whole lot of Vanderbilt football. They're horrific. But that means that dude's probably getting double teamed a good amount down there. And they felt like his motor was pretty impressive late in the games. They, they mentioned, you know, when they went down there to watch him, uh, just where visiting schools during practice, you know, wind sprints, he's up there with the linebacker safeties, things like that. So, um, you know, you, you talk about when healthy, which obviously we'll get into here in just a second, but a four-man grouping of Buckner, Grover, Adangbo, and Quiddy Pay. Boy, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big four-man front. I know Quiddy Pay doesn't have great length, but, man, you can really, really <laughs> disrupt right. and control the line of scrimmage with that four-man group there. Um, the whole double-dipping, it's something I did in, in my mock. You know, I, I waited, I think, till round five to give them another defensive lineman. Um, so I, I, I was good with taking another defensive lineman. Obviously, taking one is early as a dangbo is is where I probably don't totally agree with it. And I also feel like we, we do need to just call it like it is. The reason why um, the Colts felt the need, Chris Bauer felt the need to draft two defensive linemen in the first you know two rounds was because of his misses at that position. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's why the Colts felt like they needed to have this sort of thought process entering the draft. And Chris said that. Um Obviously, he didn't say it as you know direct as I just said it, but that's the reason why. It's Basham and Lewis and Ture and Banagoo. The fact that we sit here right now in 2021 and only three of those four are on your roster, uh, Lewis, I, I believe, still should be a long-term piece, but we don't know that for sure. Ture has not established himself. Banagoo was a healthy scratch you know, half the season in his second year. Your misses at that spot is why you have felt the need to double dip mm-hmm. there. Um, so I do think we just need to acknowledge that of for as much success that Chris has had in drafts and at different positions, you've addressed D-line with a lot of premium picks. And the reason why you are continuing to address it with premium picks is because you've swung and missed. 
um, with, with with some of those spots. So I do think we also need to acknowledge that. Um, I guess injury wise with the Dangbo, you know, I know like the Achilles injury. I feel like people are a little bit more optimistic on it than they used to be. Like it used to be just like, hey, that's gonna be twelve months. Yep. Boom, boom, boom. Um, Obviously, it differs for everybody. I know a lot of people were really quick after this pick and in, in defending it, comparing it to Julian Blackman. I think that's kind of a lazy comparison right away for a couple of reasons. One, an ACL is much different than a torn Achilles. Um, Julian Blackman tore his ACL a month and a half before Dio Dangbo tore his Achilles. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you talk about timetable. Yeah. Julian Blackman missed the first game of the season. So, if you go just strictly off that, and again, different injuries. But we shouldn't expect a Dangbo until, you know, whatever, mid-October, I guess. But again, ACL, typically it seems like it's quicker to come back from than Achilles. And then lastly, I mean, is it a 100-pound difference in uh, in human beings? Yeah. You know, this is mm-hmm. you know, 6'5", 280 versus whatever, 6'1", 180, 190. I don't know, Blackman's um, exact measurables. And then I also think as much as a Dangbo is a guy that I'm very intrigued by when healthy, I mean, Julian Blackman was an All-American at on at Utah, on one of the best um, defenses in, yeah. in, in college football. I think, and the Colts admit this, a Dangbo, there is a little bit more of just development needed in his game. Put up some nice numbers at times, nothing like astronomical. Um, at at Vanderbilt, but certainly did some nice things there. So, um, uh, and I guess a little bit of a scheme change. I know he played all over in college, but I guess there is a little bit of that. Um, so this is a very curious, interesting pick to me. Uh, the Achilles worries me certainly. Uh, it's definitely not a win now pick by any means. You know, maybe he helps you out for the second half of the season. I understand the reasoning for it, and I agree a whole lot with Chris Ballard's philosophy on wanting to build in the fronts. Um, to me, it just seems a little bit too luxury-like when you get into the support for Wentz. Um, and I guess it just comes back to, I get the whole you can't force picks. Like, I understand that. But alleviating some stress in the draft would mean, you know, have you gone after a little bit more of a starting caliber player in free agency at one of those spots. So now where you get into the draft and you don't feel as like, oh my gosh, we really want to take a Dangbo, but man, we didn't do anything in March of substance at position A, position B, and now we feel like you can't go down that route. Mm-hmm. So I guess that comes back to, you know, when Jim Mercer's saying a third corner or a playmaker at wideout or tight end or left tackle. I mean, those are three needs that the owner and you know Ballard has mentioned some of those that they mentioned a whole lot during the offseason and we're here through the bulk of the offseason and you really have only crossed off pass rusher um, of that. So again, Dangbo, the length and the long-term future of healthy. Uh, boy, you've gotten a lot younger mm-hmm. on that D-line. Your oldest guys are Buckner and Stewart. So yeah. that's great because I don't think you had a lot of established guys looking ahead. But for the here and now and the win now aspect, this was a little bit of a uh, of a luxury pick. Yeah, and a uh, a colleague of ours here at the radio station, Jason Hammer, who's also a Tennessee Vol fan, texted me during <laughs> during this draft pick. Said, you know, every SEC player that gets drafted 
all the highlights are just them versus Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's probably them versus Tennessee or them versus Vanderbilt. Yeah. You know, it was probably the one time the Vanderbilt highlights were actually getting played right. in a positive, positive. I totally forgot Vanderbilt was even in the SEC. I, I feel like I forget that every year until they start showing them against Alabama and mm-hmm. you know, LSU and all these teams and whatnot. So I don't think they won a game last year. So. Dangbo go for them. Yeah, uh, yeah, firing Derek Mason and whatnot. So um, seems like a really happy guy, and I'm judging this by ten minutes off of a Zoom. But um, I think his older brother played in the NFL for a minute. Okay. So uh, comes from Texas, went to Vandy and whatnot. So um, yeah, a little bit wait and see, but definitely a lot to work with when you talk six five two eighty and the testy numbers that they felt like he could have put up. Mm-hmm. All right, round four, the Colts did address the tight end need that you felt like they needed to going to SMU and getting Kylan Granson. Yeah, and Chris, let's just start here. It's not just a tight end. It's the right type of tight end. You, you know, to me, that was so vital of complimenting Mo Cox and Jack Doyle, finding more of that receiving guy. You're not going to ask him to be an inline blocker and block in short yardage to close out a game. Mm-hmm. You're going to ask him to make some plays through the air and move him around a whole lot. He was a college wideout. Um Initially, and went to Rice, which Rice, I mean, you talk about schools that are hard to get into. Damn. I mean, this dude dropped the phrase Renaissance man. I'm sitting there, you know, with Maddie watching the draft, and she hears that on the Zoom. She's like, whoa. You know, you don't hear. He's kind of got a, he's got a little bit of a Frank Reich, quiet confidence. You know, if if they weren't such nice people, you'd call it cocky or brash. You know, Frank's got some of that. Um I, I do think Kylan Granson has some of that. I'm sure that attracted Frank Reich to him. I see some play with the ball in his hands that I'm not used to from tight ends, which I think you really like as well. Um, you know, drops, I think, were brought up on the telecast right after he got drafted. Um, very adamant, and the Colts are as well. It was one game against Cincinnati. Now, some would say that is the marquee game on the SMU schedule, so that's a bit worrisome. But the Colts, you know, they watched him at that senior bowl and felt like he was a natural catcher of the football, if you're not going to help with blocking, of course, you know, the Eric Ebron wears the balance of big plays, but he's going to drop the football a little bit. The Colts proved with Ebron they will live with it, but um, that is something, I guess, just Granson to keep an eye on there. And this dude averaged 16 yards a catch the last two years. Yeah. That's a mm-hmm. boy, that's a big number for a tight end. Right. This is not just dink and dunk your way down the field, so... Um, good athletic tester. You guys have heard me say this all off season long. A strength of Carson Wentz is throwing the seam ball, and that's where you feel like a guy like Granson can help you out here. Um, you know, I was never a big Zach Ertz guy. I know a lot of people have asked me that. I just felt like he's too similar to the skill sets you already have on the roster. This is a guy that I feel like is different, and it helps diversify your offense. Give Frank Reich a different. You know, seasoning bottle, whatever, mm-hmm. um, to work with in that kitchen and move him around a little bit. And I'm a fan of this pick. I am. Um, detached him a good amount at SMU, moved him around a little bit. I, I believe he actually was a high school teammate of Sam Ellinger, which is kind of crazy to, to, to yeah. think about. But um, yeah, I like this pick, man. Sidebar, you mentioned Telecast. Are you an NFL Network guy or an ESPN guy? So I don't have NFL Network Okay. Uh, on the old cable package. Um, so I was all ESPN. Uh, Booger needs to get off the off the Telecast. There's no need for him on there whatsoever. Um, I need Lewis Riddick. I need Mel. Mm-hmm. And I need McShay. And I'd prefer Trey Wingo to come back. Uh, Mike Greenberg, horrific. 
So, yeah, that that's what I would want. Yeah, I, I do like Daniel Jeremiah, though, on NFL Network. Right. Are you are you one one or the other? Um, the reason I asked after the Quiddy Pay <clears throat> pick, yeah, vastly different in terms of you know I tweeted out kind of how you know Booger kept going to you can't have two hands on you can't have two hands on and not necessarily ripped him but didn't seem as high on him as it sounded like the NFL Network was. Um, Charles Davis loved Charles Davis yeah, like you said well. Daniel Jeremiah so. Once that was brought to my attention, I don't know, just naturally I went to ESPN, and then people were like, well, NFL Network, why aren't you watching that? I was like, you know what, I'll toggle over. Yeah, they um, the ESPN recap, I, I know Riddick really hammered home, like, you can't just get sacks with effort. You mm-hmm. know, you really kind of have to diversify yourself as a rusher, which, you know, you, you can see why he would say something like that. But, yeah, um, they were uh, Mel. Mel was fired up about some damn kicker on Saturday, which I was just dying <laughs> laughing. But yeah, yeah. That I'm, but on those days late, you know, you gotta you gotta find something to get fired up about. Yeah, you do. You're getting long snappers yeah. to to Carolina. It's awesome. Right. Exactly. All right. Round five. We got another Sean Davis on the roster. Florida safety. Thoughts on him? Yeah, boy. You 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 watch him, and I mean, he's not afraid to give up his body. Certainly. Um, there are some times where he throws his body and, and hits a little bit of air and, and isn't you know maybe the most sound tackler, but he's not afraid to come up there. And it's interesting, he's not afraid to come up there into the box, but I also feel like there's a little bit of versatility to his game where it's not just like Clayton Gathers' thumper. Mm-hmm. There are moments, and boy, you see some highlights, some incredible interceptions. I mean, he's got decent ball production at the back end. Now, I don't expect him to play at all, honestly, defensively in year one, unless Matt Eberflus has evolved from, hey, let's play dime packages. And, you know, I understand why you know Flus doesn't want to play as much dime because he's a big four-man front guy, so there's four of your 11, and then he doesn't want to take Leonard or Okariki off the field. Okay, that's four plus two, that's six. So right now you only have five spots, so that's where you're playing – you know, your your five defensive backs. Um, some injury concerns with Davis. I think nine missed games over the last three years. Big-time special teamer, which is a must, yes. certainly for a backup safety. Uh, I know some of the Florida coaches called him kind of the quarterback of the secondary. So, you know, honestly, Chris, th- I, pr- I think I had safety a little bit later. I think I had corner slotted here in mm-hmm. my positional mock. You know, corner, I think Tommy Doyle, the big tackle out of Miami, Ohio, went right around this area as well. Maybe that would have been. A position there so nice special teamer but early on day three I probably would have gone a different route than this I'm not a huge huge fan of it but I mean certainly safety I think was some need and obviously if you have an injury to Kari Willis or Julian Blackman you know Sean Davis SH Sean or SEA and Sean one of them are gonna have to play a whole lot for you um you know considering you already got what's his name George Odom is more of that special teamer yeah, and good for local, like you said, Tommy Doyle. Good for him getting. Yeah, my is he an Indiana high school guy? Mm-hmm. Is he? Yeah. Where? I think Chittard. Is he? Yeah. I know there's a big Doyle family. I believe so. Maybe Fort Wayne. I can't remember. At but... Chittard, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was surprised to see the um, the Cathedral kid go. I think at the end of round two, Pete Warner mm-hmm. out of Ohio State, right there at the end of round two. So, yep. um, super athletic linebacker and started for Ohio State for several seasons, former Notre Dame commit, actually. Um, but I'm I'm a mature 31-year-old, so I won't say <laughs> anything more about that. So, um, 
Yeah, and outside of that, Wap Philly, I saw one undrafted. I was a little mm-hmm. bit surprised there. Rondell Moore, boy, Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, you, uh, that's a great. Yeah. They were speaking of telecast. They were gushing about that Derek Barnes pick, the linebacker. Riddick was, boy, I thought he was gonna <laughs> come through the TV. Uh, Dan Campbell seems to be a guy that likes uh, Derek Barnes out of Purdue. So, um, and Jamar Johnson, I forget where he went. Denver, maybe. It's popping in my head. So, so many people, and they asked me this morning in the ratio, like, what do you think of the AFC South? I, I couldn't tell you three picks for any teams in the AFC South. Like, I, I'm trying to learn about these Colts picks. Like, I'm not – sorry, I, I haven't gotten too too abreast in, in, in some of these other other picks. So, yeah, we're kind of locked in here on the on the indie draft. All right, round six. This one, based off of Colts Twitter, a little bit of a head-scratcher, but the Colts addressed the quarterback room and drafted Sam Ellinger, which is a big name out of Texas. Yeah, oh, huge name. Jeez, you talk about big name. I mean, literally, if um, – if Mike Winchell and Matt Saracen had a kid, it'd be Sam Ellinger. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know the science behind that, um, but boy, this is Friday Night Lights all over it. I mean, he is like, you know, try hard, crazy work ethic. Um, it is amazing to me, and it is hilarious. If I cared, you know, didn't have a life, I'd go back and like splice the clips together of Chris Ballard talking about Jacob Eason being drafted. And then talking about Sam Ellinger being drafted. I mean, literally. I don't know if he complimented Eason one time after being drafted last year. Yeah, you know, third quarterback. You know, he's going to have to fight to make the roster. And then he talks about Sam Ellinger. He's like, he's got the it factor, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You talk about worried about inflating one's ego, not worrying about inflating the other's ego. And honestly, it'd be equally as funny but a little bit different to do the Frank Wright comparison. I asked Frank for Ellinger's skill set. And, you know, it, it is a little bit of, like, finds a way to make the right play, you know. Uh, he's not, like, super athletic, but, you know, keeps plays alive, things like that. Whereas Easton, it's like, howitzer of an arm, you know, great thrower of the football, this and that. I mean, they couldn't be different in, in their skill sets yeah. and what the Colts view them as from a character standpoint and from a just football quarterback skill standpoint. Um I'm good with the pick. I know a lot of people are like, why? This is kind of my thought process on quarterback. Unless you've got Patrick Mahomes, and hell, even if you have Patrick Mahomes, having a third quarterback on your practice squad that you've drafted and identified, fine. Like, that position means so much in sports. Uh, Is Sam Ellinger an NFL quarterback? I don't know. Probably not. Like, you know, should you've gotten a should you've drafted a guy with more kind of unteachable traits from a throwing standpoint, like Eason, maybe. But you know what? Whoop de doo. Maybe Eason looks at him and's like, I need to start working like that dude. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe that is something. And I don't know. I am grasping for straws here, but I do think for what it's worth, it gives your scout team a different look. I, you know, Ellinger isn't Lamar Jackson, but he's much more of a runner than yeah. Eason is. Right. But with this coaching staff being so quarterback centric, um, you know it goes back to the left tackle thing. Like, find a guy at critical positions that your staff can work with and mold. And you're not going to get ample time to mold Sam Ellinger, but you're going to get some time. So, in a perfect world, Easton takes strides. He's your backup. I don't look at the Sam Ellinger pick and think he's going to infiltrate a bunch of snaps for Jacob Easton and whatnot. I don't look at it like that. I think Easton is the heavy favorite to be the backup. But you need a third quarterback, and no one could have named the other quarterback on the Colts roster entering this weekend. Jalen Morton, I think, is his name. So um, I don't want him taking many of Easton's reps, though. I don't. I think Easton needs them. 
Uh, those are precious. They are precious. They were precious last year. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look at Ellinger as, you know, enjoy kind of being a glorified walk-on at the quarterback position here as a rookie and then learn and, and see what happens moving forward here. So, um, yeah, I was good with it. You know, I had Texas, boy. And you felt like it was always just mm-hmm. super try-hardy and just left wanting more. I mean, he's a Westlake kid. I mean, um, obviously super sad situation with his father passing and, and, and things like that. And, um, man, uh, listening to him on the Zoom, you can see this has got Friday Night Lights just written all, all over it. Um, so, yeah, I'm good with it. You know, sixth round, you know, I kind of throw in the towel typically. In the sixth round, yeah. so this one caught my attention, and as much as I'm like, well, why not a tackle? Why not a cornerback? I mean, it's a sixth round. Mm-hmm. Like, half these guys don't even make the roster. Yeah. So. We'll see about, you know, Taysom Hill stuff. I know some people ask me. I, I don't know if we're there with him. Again, he's not, like, not 230, not running 4-4. So I don't know how much of that was just, like, he's a great anticipator of the rush and can feel that and can escape that way. You know, it's like kind of like, Jacoby, honestly. Mm-hmm. Jacoby's not a great running athlete at the quarterback position compared to the elite guys at that spot. But I thought Jacoby had a great feel for where that rush was and just making some plays a little bit off script. I think Ellinger is kind of in that similar mold. Okay. Quick fact check, way off. Doyle from Minnesota. I think I just hear Doyle and, and yeah. well, I mean, think shit, Indiana. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> head coach is certainly there. Rob, Rob Doyle, the legend. I think OC, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, you say Doyle and you say Chatard, uh, I guess Jack Doyle, <laughs> what a cathedral. I mean, there's a good bet. It's some sort of cathedral Chatard connection. Two picks in round seven. We addressed, like you said, we continue to try and address this big air wide receiver need. An interesting prospect out of Charleston, Mike Strachan. Strachan, I should say. I think it's actually, and again, I asked for these pronunciations because this one will confuse the hell out of me. Strawn is what Strachan. I was Strachan, okay. Strawn. Like, I, I think we're taking out the CH. Oh, just strong. Yeah, that's what I was told. I I don't I could be way off, but you know, forty eight hours after the draft, that's where we're. Going. I mean, I literally said to Dio Dangbo, I'm like, dude, and I almost didn't even want to say his name. I wanted to be like, hey man, um, we all have pronounced your name totally <laughs> differently in this Zoom. Will you pronounce it for us? Yeah, and luckily you did. So, Dio Dangbo, I think I think I'm saying that right. Here we're gonna go with Mike Strawn, I believe. Okay. I like it. I like taking chances. I like finding guys that you can't teach traits and you can't teach 6'5", 225, and run in 4'6". Mm-hmm. Um, um, full transparency here, when I saw he was drafted by Charleston, I'm thinking, oh, I've been to Charleston's campus, beautiful campus down in South Carolina, blah, blah, blah. I had no idea this was West Virginia, Charleston. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't even know that they had a football program. Um, I looked up their schedule, some opponents – did, did, did not bet on any of these games, but if you wanted to, uh, Fairmont State, uh, West Virginia Wesleyan, um, and maybe a rivalry game against Frostburg State. Not sure if that's homecoming. They did play Valpo. Okay. So shout out to uh, to the Crusaders up in the region. So uh, obviously competition severely lacking. Uh, very similar, honestly, to what Grover Stewart experienced at Albany State in his D2 experience. Um, whereas, you know, you look at even Darius Leonard, I mean, Darius Leonard played against Clemson. And, in, in, like, you aren't even sniffing any of that, obviously, yeah. with this schedule. But if you're going to beat D2, you got to dominate. And he dominated. He averaged 105 yards per receiving. I mean, 
Mm-hmm. I don't care what level. That's very impressive. And obviously, this is not like 5'9", 180 doing that. This is 6'5", 225, running 4'6", super long wingspan. Um, the Colts really love that he went to the West Virginia Pro Day, and they felt like they saw some route tree ability there. Whereas, you know, the D2 level, for the most part, you can probably just go route yeah. <laughs> teams to death. They, they felt like there was a little bit more there than him. Grew up in the Bahamas, uh, track background. I believe his dad is friends with Michael Irvin, so a connection there okay. with Irvin. Um, yeah, man, develop. You know, he hasn't played football in a long time. We probably should acknowledge that. You know, the, the smaller schools you know, didn't play the 2020 season. So we're approaching almost two years since he last played football. So, um, you know, this got practice squad written all over it, but these are the guys you want on your practice squad. Of mm-hmm. He's a little bit older. I think he's close to 24. Um, and how I look at wideout right now is this, Chris. Hilton, Campbell, Pascal, Pittman, those four are locks. Your fifth guy is probably some sort of Doolin to Michael Harris, maybe Desmond Patman. Maybe it's those three for two spots. Maybe it's those three three for one spot. Who knows? Um, and then this guy, you know, again, probably more of a practice squad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't have a special teams background or much of one. And I know we got some tight end questions. I don't think, you know, I thought about asking Frank. I'll, I'll try to ask Frank down the road. But it doesn't scream like, let's put 15 pounds on him and, mm-hmm. and move him to tight end. Okay. I'm going to guess when you put up those type of numbers at the D2 level, I don't think they're asking you to block. Right. A whole lot. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we're going to try and win the football game with Mike Strawn's pass catching ability, not diversify his NFL scouting resume. So, yeah, I was good with that. I think the first pick in the seventh round, this is the trade back. This was the Ellinger yeah. trade back. So, yeah, why not? Throw a dart at the board of trades you can't teach. All right, our final pick of the draft. We finally address some offensive line needs. Uh, Penn State guard Will, Fry- Will Freeze. Freeze. Yep, yep. I thought fries as well. I thought let's eat. Um, was told <laughs> freeze. Best case scenario is Joe Hag. Okay. I, that that's how I look at started. What I like is this: you start forty times at O line the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. You know, not to mention at Penn State. You know, not like whatever Rutgers or. You know, some of those other schools that, you know, shouldn't be in the Big Ten. Um, but it, not a tackle. Like, I want to make that pretty clear. You know, guard, I think, is where he's looking. Even though he did play a lot at tackle. I think 26 starts at right tackle, but started at, at guard. Actually, I think he started at left tackle a little bit at Penn State. He's played everywhere but center. So, like, great seventh-round pick. Like, And this is going to be a freaking battle for this dude to make the team. Yep. Like, as much as I, again, disagree with how the Colts have approached left tackle over the past few years, their offensive line depth. I don't know if this is a thing, but, like, I put their depth right up there with a lot of teams around the NFL. Again, I don't know, like, how to really compare that, but there's at least some resumes there that are um, that are intriguing mm-hmm. to me. So, I like it um, big, you know, for a guard, 6'6", 309. Uh, but, yeah, in a best-case scenario, he's Joe Haig. Uh, but I'd honestly put his odds at making the 53-man roster probably, like, 20%, just because you got a lot of options, honestly, right now. A lot of it will come down to... You know, do you want the rookie on the cheaper deal, you know, on whatever, a four-year contract, or do you want some of these one-year guys that you signed this uh, this yeah. offseason? All right, that's the breakdown. That, that's all of our Christmas presents. Yeah, there we go right there. Seven picks. So had six entering the weekend, traded back once. Um, and, you know, Chris uh, Chris Ballard, you know, was very honest with me. Like, I can't believe that we didn't trade back earlier. 
you know, again, I'm not like ripping him for that, but I do think that was just a goal entering mm-hmm. this draft of like, could you trade back? But obviously, um, Pay and Bangbo were just too good for them to pass up in those situations. So limited amount of draft capital next year as well. But uh, yeah, and we got uh, I posted um, 11 draft takeaways up on the site. Yep. Encourage everyone to check that out. I'll, I'll, several more takeaways that we won't even sniff really on this podcast up there on the site. So if you haven't already, uh, check that out. All right, like you mentioned uh, at the beginning of the podcast, not a ton of questions, but some good ones here coming out of the draft. The first one's from Sam. Says Chris Ballard mentioned multiple times that this offensive offensive tackle class has more guys that are right tackle instead of left tackle. Why do you think he thought the class was that way? Scheme, fit, measurables, any other reasons? Yeah, Sam, that's a good question. It's it's tough to answer. I'd say probably arm length. Um, I think part of the reason why they never felt like Braden Smith could be a tackle at this level is the arm length. Uh, you know, we heard Mike Renner, you know, a few podcasts ago talk about Liam Eikenberg and, and his length. Um, so, yeah, he, he Ballard did not feel like there were a lot of prototypical left tackles in this class. And, you know, as much as I, okay, get that, whatever, I also think there's got to be, which is weird because I do think Chris is like a big believer in this. And the pay and the Dangbo picks are indicators of this. You're betting on your staff to develop as well, which that's <laughs> – I mean, that's half, arguably more than half, the battle in the mm-hmm. scouting process. As much as we constantly want to rip GMs for good picks, bad picks, whatever, your coaching staff's got a lot to do with it as well in agreeing with selections and believing that they can develop the traits that need to be developed. That's where I'm like at left tackle. Okay, the guy might not have perfect arms. He might not run whatever, 1-8 in the 10-yard split or whatever you want out of you know quick feet for an offensive lineman. But develop, you know, mold, coach. That's part of it. And the fact that they haven't given this coaching staff anybody of substance, that to me is a big-time mistake. Kevin, Trevor wants to know, is there a chance that this Colts offensive line could actually be better this season via player development, even with the loss of Anthony Costanzo, or is that just wishful thinking? Whoa. Better without Costanzo? Oh, my. Um. Boy, Trevor. Uh, I mean, honestly, that's like me looking at Rosie, and she like kind of grabs her ball with her left hand, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, she's <laughs> gonna be an unbelievable lefty pitcher." Do you see that hand-eye coordinate? Like, right, Trevor. That's an eternal optimist through the roof right now. I, I can't. I mean, I don't think you're meaning it, Trevor, but that comes off as a slide at Anthony Costanzo, which I'm just not. I'm not here for. I mean, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, listen to the numbers that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. It's, it is absurd how the Colts have performed with and without Casanzo. And I also think you have to remember, Quentin Nelson had a great line um, about his own rookie season. Remember, Casanzo missed those first five games of 2018. Mm-hmm. And Nelson was pretty blunt being like, I can't tell you the difference in what it felt like to be playing with insert Jamarcus Webb, Raven Clark, whoever started at left tackle in those first five games, and then what it felt like with Casanzo mm-hmm. at left tackle. So, Trevor, I, you know, is there a chance the Colts O-line could be better this season player development? That is the issue to me. Who who have you been developing on the O-line? I mean, Sam Tebby's a free agent signing. Comes yeah. over from the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Played one year at left tackle. Um, Julian Davenport is a free agent signing. You know, Will Holden has been on your team for, I don't know, a couple months. Like, 
there's just no one that you have been developing. So, Trevor, I appreciate the question. I couldn't disagree with it more. Chris wants you to tell him a little bit more about Sam Tevy and how he compares to LaRaven Clark or Chaz Green. Man, talk about questions I didn't think we'd be, you know, answering this offseason. I, I feel like we get, did we get a few offensive line questions, Chris? A little bit. Yeah. Just a couple. Jeez. Um, okay, Sam Tevy, three-year starter, six-round pick. Um, I think just one year at left tackle. You know, it was the right, you know, right tackle when they had Russell Okung out there. Um, I'm trying to think who they had at left tackle the year after that. I forget who the Chargers had at left tackle. Um, I know a lot of people point to the PFF grade. What was it? I think. I don't know, it's like the 83 tackles graded out last year. He was like 77, the PFF grade. Um, better than Chaz Green, worse than LaRaven Clark. I, I don't I don't know. The Colts clearly think he's better than LaRaven Clark. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like half the Chris Ballard quotes are he's played football before, a lot of football, and then he sometimes will sneak in he's played winning football. I think we could argue mm-hmm. how winning the, the Chargers offensive line has been over the years so uh, but boy i mean they are uh, and for what it's worth i mean they like they like tevy they keep on mentioning tevy and not mentioning julian davenport or somebody else so clearly there is some intrigue there chris strauser kevin why you know who knows this one comes from isaac he says i know the pick is getting a lot of hate but i'm higher on dio odangbo pick than a majority of colts fans especially with how the board played out with not a viable offensive tackle worth the pick. Odangbo is arguably a first-round talent. If he works out, our D-line could have a huge strength with the presence of DeForest Buckner and the addition of Quiddy Pay. If Ballard picks up the phone and lands Alejandro Villanueva, Eric Fisher, or Russell, Russell Okung, I like the pick even more. Um, let's focus on Dio here because I feel like we got a few other Fisher questions that we can get to a little bit later. Um, in the pod, um, did we get some Fisher ones? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, with, with, um, with Dio, I mean, there are stretches of definitely some dominance at Vandy. I mean, there are a few clips that it's just like, oh my gosh, he looks like the biggest kid on the playground, just mm-hmm. throwing dudes around. So, um, and I'll go back to something I said earlier, getting home with four is such a massive part of this defense working out. And the past defense has underwhelmed in recent years because the consistent pressure with four-man um, looks have not done that, Chris. I want to say last year the Colts had the second, either brought a four-man rush the second most or like brought the second least amount of blitzing, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so your four-man has got to answer it for you. And, I mean, look at what Tampa did in the Super Bowl. They could rush four and drop six or seven, and boom, they were able to disrupt timing and obviously feast on some backup tackles for Kansas City. So, um, again, I, I wholeheartedly understand the intrigue about Dio Dangbo, and clearly the medical advances, the Colts just aren't as nervous, afraid of a guy you know who tore his Achilles never coming back or getting all the way back, things like that. They're, they're pretty uh, adamant that he will get there. This one comes from Craig. Hey Kevin, I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but shouldn't we? But should we have anticipated Chris Ballard would be going with a big defensive line draft? He has already signed three offensive linemen, including two offensive tackles, whereas he had only re-signed Al Muhammad on the defensive line. 
I guess he feels good about the competition for the offensive tackle. Um, Craig, I don't necessarily look at it or, I guess, looked at it in past tense like that. I think it honestly boils down to this. You've hit on O-line draft picks. You haven't hit on the D-line draft picks. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ryan Kelly, great pick by Ryan Grigson. No real need to invest in a center since then. Braden Smith has worked out at right tackle. You felt like, okay, we don't need to make up for that. Obviously, Quint Nelson at, at guard. So I think that's why there's been so much D-line. To me, when you sign those three O-linemen, including two offensive tackles, they were depth signings, you know, backups. al Muhammad, you also did sign Isaac Rochelle. I don't want to don't want to lose sight of that um, as well. But, w- w- again, and I know a lot of the Ballard, you know, he, he can do n- n- no wrong. People will, you know, whatever, scoff at this or whatnot. But we do just have to call it like it is. If Ballard hadn't missed as much as he's missed on the D-line, he wouldn't have felt the need or the urgency to go D-line with the first two picks. And he, he said it afterwards. He's like, yeah, part of me felt like D-line was a focus, and it was also how the board felt. But I don't think there would have been as much of an urgency at that spot had Tyquan Lewis established himself as the three technique that you thought he'd be out of Ohio State. Or, you know, Ben Banigou was, at this point in his NFL career, you know, an, un, an unquestioned starter. So, um yeah, Craig, I don't I, I don't know if it was like a hindsight 2020. Like, boy, I just – Sam Tebby, Julian Davenport, like you signed those guys. I mean, the Chargers and the Dolphins didn't want him back. And I don't think we look at those old lines and think they're the, you know, whatever, the Colts of 2018. Well, the way the draft played out, let's get to a question that just about everyone decided to, uh, to write in and ask. Does it look like we're going to go after Eric Fisher or a veteran free agent? Yeah, that's popular. Um, popular question. You know, my question with Fisher is this, Chris. When is he ready? Mm-hmm. What's up with the Achilles? Um, you know, Achilles injury for a 300-pound man. I mean, what, he, that was late January he suffered it? I mean, what, is it 12 months? Is it 11 months? If it's 11 months, it's still the end of the regular season. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- when is he healthy? When is he, when is he ready? I think that's the biggest question there. You know, people obviously mention... Okung and Villanueva. It's like, you know, Kung has missed more games than he started over the last few years. I mean, I watched that Pittsburgh O-line. I mean, oh, boy. Villanueva. Oof. I Yeah, I just, these guys are out there for a reason. A month and a half into free agency. But having said all that, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to throwing in another veteran body. I mean, hell, you're going to have a tons of bodies. I don't know where all the left tackle reps are necessarily going to come, so we'll see. Kevin Daniel was of the opinion that with so many holes to fill and no third rounder, we were in no position to be, sele- be selecting a player who is going to potentially be redshirted for the year. What's your opinion on that? You know, Daniel, it all comes down to what is your opinion on the draft. Do you believe in the draft as win now? Do you believe in the draft as roster building long term? I'd say the majority of people would believe that it's long-term. Um, some might say, well, the Colts are in a different situation. They drafted Carson Wentz. They only have two picks in the first 125. You can't get too luxury-y with your picks. You've got to address the two glaring needs. I'm probably, like, I really understand what the draft means to a franchise and the lifeblood of an organization. 
the pick was just probably a hair too luxury for me. And again, nothing against Dio Dangbo, but just it's not like you drafted a running back at 54, and I'm just like, all right, where the hell are you even going to get carries for him or a linebacker at 54 or something like that? If you're going to go win now, that pick probably should have been a five-pick trade-up, and you take Sam Cosby or something like that. That If you're going to go win now, that's probably where the pick should have been. Isaac just comes out and says it, Kevin. Are we screwed at left tackle? <laughs> um. Yeah, scheme it up. Scheme it up. Frank Reich, scheme it up time. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know about full on screwed, but it, it's um it's not a good situation to be in. It's not a situation that makes me sleep that much better. Um, you know, you, you you trust an element of Frank Reich's ability to scheme up, but I go back to what I said earlier of while Wentz is more mobile, he also and you want to tap into more big plays with him. Whereas Rivers was just, boom, get it out. I mean, remember that Houston game mm-hmm. when you didn't have Costanza on the lineup, how quickly Rivers got it out? Um, you got some guys on your football team that you want to get down the field and, and make some plays there. So um, we talked about the five positions of need entering this offseason. Quarterback, left tackle, wide out, DN, cornerback. Left tackle is taken by far the biggest step back. So... Um, that's probably my biggest concern of just there is a domino effect of, all right, if you're poor at left tackle, you know, are you poor along the offensive line? Does that impact Carson Wentz? Those are the questions that you have. Daniel from Los Angeles feels like Quiddy Pay has everything you could ask for in a stud defender and could become a young star on the team. Thank you, Daniel, for chiming in. Um, yeah, Chris, I mean, there is a, you know, there is a um, there's a really high floor with Quiddy Pay as a stud defender, which you like. Again, there's a guy that can be a three down and not just a, hey, I'm coming on the field because I weigh 235 and it's third down. I think that's what you really like the most. And then as I was saying earlier, athletically, there are testing numbers and traits there that you put Quiddy Pay in the same breath with some very elite rushers. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, Chris, but and boy, I someone someone asked Chris Bauer a question saying like Quiddy Pay is not a speed rusher, and Chris really, <laughs> it was like four five seven isn't isn't speed rush, um, four five seven at two hundred seventy pounds is whoa, and then he put up I want to say thirty six on the bench press, and I know there are other measurables that are a little bit better for strength or whatnot, but like you know when you talk about stunting and things like the Colts want to do and. You know, if there might be a guard that's super weak and you want to bull rush that guard, you think about matchups week in and week out. This is what plays into the mm-hmm. a dangbo pick. We, we've seen the Colts move guys all, around a whole lot. Um, there is that chance, I think, to to really get some advantageous one-on-ones for your football team there. So um, the biggest thing, again, is just is he a five-sack guy at the NFL level or is he a ten-sack guy? And I think that is a big question. Um, I think it's a fair question to ask. I mean, the guy had, what, 11 sacks in college, 12 mm-hmm. sacks in college? Like, not a lot. Uh, we can argue about Michigan's scheme for sure and his usage, but that is an aspect to his game that, like, it's not the Montez Sweats, the Brian Burnses of the world. Yeah, and you don't want to read too deep into some of the um, 
some of the testing numbers, but one that stuck out to me, you know, faster three cone drill than Tyree Kill. <laughs> yeah, that was really. I think that was. Yeah, that was. I, I don't think he did that as pro day, but he did that at some other, and I was like, yeah, wow. I mean, it's. And I don't. I don't know. Pictures are pictures. He measured in at six two, at his Michigan pro day. He looked pretty close to as tall as Frank Reich. Uh, when they took that picture on the uh-huh. field in the indoor facility, um, so yeah, I, uh, I I don't know, maybe a six four, <laughs> something like that. This one comes from Josh. Love the defensive end pick. I thought that our backup plan for whiffing on a left tackle was always stronger than our backup plan for missing at pass rush. Heard for the first time this weekend about Quentin Nelson or Braden Smith moving to the left tackle for just one year. Had always thought a move like that would be permanent if it was made. I know Chris Ballard and Jim Ursay say that they're keeping the current four in place, but what about an Eric Fisher signing and kicking Nelson out to left tackle and moving Pitter to the left guard just until Fisher is healthy? You know, Colts are pretty adamant they're not moving Nelson, Braden Smith. I thought that was something that came out from from this weekend. Um, now, a name, because we kind of already answered the Fisher part, a name that I haven't certainly didn't hear from the Colts this weekend. What about Will Holden? Mm-hmm. You know, the guy started against the Steelers last year. Like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, maybe he's a name. So, um, you know, they, they frequently mention Tevy first, but I don't know. I know it's just one game, but I thought Holden did a decent job in that Pittsburgh game. From Niles, talk me off the ledge because this seems like the worst draft in Chris Ballard's era. I love Quiddy Pay pick, but everything else is highly suspicious. Wow. Yeah, that's um, that's gross. I haven't seen many of the draft grades. Are, are they kind of getting meh grades? I, I saw Dane Brugler had him 26 out of the 32 draft classes. The only one that I saw was when they just ranked A through F and they got a B plus. So. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, well, that's better than 26. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um. Yeah, Niles, you know, I'm not going, like, obviously all the way there. I mean, I, I'm, I'm good with Granson. Uh, obviously, pay. You know, there you go. A dang boat is an unknown. Sean Davis, I think, is a bit of a where exactly does he fit into the old um, depth chart. It's interesting when you do, and we'll probably do this maybe on next week's pod or a future pod, when you project, like, playing time day one, it's not a lot of obvious playing time. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously, pay is going to play a whole lot. A dang boat might not play for quite some time. You know, you get in the fourth round. Granson should play, but as a third tight end, he's not going to play a ton. Uh, Sean Davis might not play at all defensively. Obviously, Sam Ellinger, no. Uh, we talked about Mike Strawn as a guy that's on your practice squad. So, again, the day one impacts of this group don't expect. Now, Chris Bauer did say he doesn't think they're as raw. This class is as raw as some people are saying. But I'm just kind of like, where do they fit on your roster? Mm-hmm. Now, that's what happens when you bring back as much as the Colts have brought back and whatnot. But, um, yeah, worst draft in the Ballard era. I mean, Niles, I'm not, you know, I mean, that 2017 draft had some big misses early on. Now, how much is that coaching staff and whatnot? 2019, you know, you're still out a little bit there. And I mean, the biggest, the worst draft in the Ballard era, like, that's not like a straight up F. I mean, there's been hits, uh, multiple hits, probably. You can make the argument in every draft. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going DEFCON, but, you know, I, Finding exactly where the playing time is going to be for some of these guys. That's fair. All right, five more Twitter questions. Mule asks, is there any chance that we see Ben Banigou moved a little more limited role at Sam Linebacker? 
Oh boy, another position change. <laughs> huh. I uh, I mean, uh, you know, honestly, there's still some edge reps available. You know, you lost Autry in Houston. You've signed Muhammad and you drafted Pay. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know if that's and like Alkadi Muhammad. How many? I mean, if Ben Banigou makes a jump, he can go win some reps at that edge position. Like, I guess if you're going to go play tomorrow, your starting edges are Pay and Muhammad with like Rochelle and Ture as your top backups, and Ture you know, comes in on passing downs. But like those are not locked in stone at all. So. Um, yeah, I, I'd probably just leave Banigou at edge. I, I, just seems like a lot to overwhelm him mm-hmm. From R.T. Smooth, in my mind, I don't see more production out of this pass rush as of right now. Danico Autry was a big loss, and a rookie isn't filling those shoes. Everyone else not named DeForest Buckner is unproven. Does Al-Kadeem Muhammad take a step forward this season? Yeah, it is an interesting question. Um, again, assuming a Dangbo cannot help you out very much early on. You know, Quiddy Pay, and based off his college production, that's a lot to bank on a guy coming in and, and really influencing your your pass rush. So, yes, I, I, I hear you out on the how much, you know, September, October pass rush is going to be felt by some of these new moves. Like Isaac Rochelle is not a big edge pass rusher there. Um, I mean, a critical element to the success of this season is Quiddy Pay impacting you very, very quickly and developing very, very early and um, giving you pressure off the edge at some sort of a day one level. Now, you guys have heard me talk. That's a lot to expect from a rookie. You know, the the rookies that have come in here and been eight, nine sack guys aren't very aplenty mm-hmm. in the NFL, but um, pay will get the opportunity, certainly, and he needs to be working with you know, insert your if Robert Mathis is still a consultant, you know, work with him. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, Brian Baker, the new D line coach, you know, from last year. So, yeah. All right. Well, you touched on this briefly earlier, Kevin, but Louisiana guy asks, "What's the deal with Kamoko Ture's ankle?" Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, Chris Ballard mentioned he had surgery after the season. You 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 saw him in a boot, didn't you? At, yeah. Uh, was it Rutgers Big Ten game? Maybe. Yeah, during the Big Ten uh, yeah. tournament when it was here at Lucas Oil. So I, I assume that's from the offseason surgery that, you know, finally gets it cleared up. And, um, you know, we'll see how much the Colts get on the field right now. But, yeah, Ture's angle, you know, has always been, you know, ever since that devastating injury in 2018, that's always been the question. And even his rookie year, he kind of fought some injuries at, in, in, at other body parts. So it was not Paris Campbell mold. Campbell's been kind of a variety of injuries. But. I do have a little bit of concern of just how much Ture can hold up in the grind. And that's why I view him as a very specialist. I view him at, which is fine. If he mm-hmm. can excel in that role, it's great to have. Um, but it's not a quitty pay type of presence for you. This is a guy that needs to be your fastball that comes on the field on third down and does that. Schwegman says Mike Strawn is a pretty big and is pretty big and he's a freak athlete. Do you see that he might bump into the tight end role as you've talked about? Yeah, you know, when he was drafted, Chris, initially that was my first kind of thought, but I don't find a whole lot of blocking special teams. Um, you know, you're still figuring out a route tree with him as well. A little bit older. I don't know, does that impact the amount of development? So man, you are big at wideout though. Patman, mm-hmm. him, you know, Pittman. Boy, you got some bodies there that you can really, I think, 
try and tap into and help you out in the red zone. All right, the last one comes from Ross. Can Sam Ellinger be used in a Taysom Hill-type role? Yeah, Ross, I, I I, don't think so. I mean, gosh, you hate to get again to Friday Night Lights theme, but like, how much is that just like his college grit? You know, it's like you sometimes see these guys escape and make plays in high school and college, and then it's just like, oh, yeah, that, that ain't lasting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's as much like dual threat freak athlete as it, again, goes back to the Brissett comment I made earlier. Just a really good anticipator of where the pressure's coming from. Where are my safety valves? Where are my escape routes? Things like that. I mean, he put up some stupid numbers in college. I mean, you look yeah. at it from a all-purpose standpoint or whatnot. So, I'm always intrigued by it just because I'm, I'm all for trying to add pieces to the puzzle. But I do think you have more of a running threat at quarterback and... Maybe it's something you tap into package-wise down the road, but Carson Wentz is a much, much more willing QB sneaker than old Phil. I wonder how Sam feels about being like one of the most internet-used <laughs> video soundbite clips with the we're back after they won oh their God. bowl game. I, I, I totally forgot about that. I mean, dude, he's got – again, I'm not a Texas football fan. I didn't watch a whole ton of Texas, but like you talk about a polarizing – debatable athlete for like Texas fans yeah. you know all these that are obsessed with Westlake High School and <laughs> the belief in you know gotta have the Texas high school quarterback mm-hmm. and you know hook them till the end <laughs> and blah 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 this and that and then others are like guys you know eight wins or whatever has been the peak for Texas I guess they had the one year where um like you said they did go a little bit further but yeah um certainly a name that made me kind of wake up a little bit mm-hmm. On the couch on Saturday. Yep. That's That's all we got. That's all of them? Cool. All right, everybody. Let's get back into the Tuesday routine, Chris, with pods moving forward. So, as always, if you guys have questions, you know where to find us. We had ample draft written coverage up on the site all weekend long. Check that out if you missed anything. Draft recaps on every single pick. And we'll continue to dive into that written content-wise on future pods. As well. So, thank you again to everybody that uh, watched and, and listened to Beers with Bowen. Hope you enjoyed that. And uh, for Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley, everybody have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.